0: tickle the eyes, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's a beautiful hymn. If, uh, you may be familiar with that one. Uh, there is a fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's grace. Amen. And sinners plunge beneath that blood lose all their guilty states But I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. Matthew, chapter 19, and beginning at verse number 1. Lessons for life, biblical standards for healthy relationships. Biblical Standards for Healthy Relationships. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished his sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry But he said to them, All cannot accept this say, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. When little children were brought to him, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and departed from there. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may, in, that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, "'Which ones?' Jesus said, "'You shall not murder, "'you shall not commit adultery, "'you shall not steal, "'you shall not bear false witness, "'honor your father and your mother, "'and you shall love your neighbor as yourself.' The young man said to him, "'All these I have kept from my youth. "'What do I still lack?' Jesus said to him, "'If you want to be perfect, "'go sell what you have and give to the poor.' You will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we ask, O Lord, you be our teacher today through your holy word and by your Holy Spirit. Enable us to understand and to apply your truth to our lives and help us more to see, to understand, and to know and to accept. The biblical standards for relations, for relationships. There is so much confusion that is being perpetuated and peddled, not only in our own country but around the world those who seek to undermine the church in the hold of satan who seeks to destroy your work and we know lord that he cannot that ultimately the victory has already been won at the cross at the resurrection but yet we still live here lord awaiting your return and we see what is going on not only in our own country but around the world. Those who would, those who desire to have a Sodom and Gomorrah here in the United States, we pray, Father, deliver our nation. And we thank you for this revival that is breaking, breaking out across the college campuses now, Christian schools where. Believers of all different denominations are gathering together to worship you, to pray, and to praise you, and to thank you for your love, and to call upon your name. We pray for that to happen across our country and around the world. Now, Lord, as we study your word, we pray. Speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, and to your honor and glory. Amen. Amen. So, as we look at our first point here in this passage, the true origin of the family is declared. So, Jesus, he's uh, traveling along with his disciples, and of course, as it was, uh, the multitudes of people uh, follow him, and he interacts with them, and those that need healing, Jesus heals and uh, very different from what you see on TV, you know. It was in the natural course of his life that he interacted with people and met their need as those needs were presented to him. But of course, while he's, he's ministering to people and meeting their needs, you have the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, who come testing or in a very real sense, tempting Jesus with a question. Now, before we go any further, at that particular time, there were at least two different uh, rabbinical schools or Jewish schools, uh, or positions on marriage and divorce. So you had both the liberal and the conservative. That sound familiar to you? (laughs) (laughs) So um, uh, Hillel took the liberal uh, position. I'm quoting this from A.T. Robertson's uh, word pictures in the New Testament. He says, Hillel took the liberal and popular view of easy divorce for any passing whim, even the burning of biscuits for breakfast. Okay? That was quite liberal. And then uh, Shammai. Shammai was a, a rabbi at the time, and his position was that only immorality was the reason acceptable for divorce. And so you see, there are two two extremes. And uh, the, the basis upon which the Pharisees test Jesus has to do with Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1 most specifically. Because in there, in that particular verse, it does say that if the husband finds some basic uncleanness or undesirable aspect that he could divorce his wife by writing out a paper or letter of divorcement and giving it to her and sending her out. You have to remember that in that day and age the woman had no rights. The woman could not divorce her husband. Only the husband could divorce the wife. As a matter of fact, he was was the ruler of both the wife and the kids. Very, very different set of standards. And that's why it's wrong for people today to judge people who lived 100 or 200 or 300 years ago by today's standard. We have a different standard today. And it is not right to hold people today accountable for something that happened a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago a thousand years ago etc. As a matter of fact the Bible also teaches that and I believe in that same chapter the Lord says the father shall not die for the sins of the son nor the son die for the sins of the father each shall pay for his own sin that's what the Bible teaches but that's another subject and so they come to Jesus and they they what they're trying to do is they're trying to entrap him. They want to to trick him, so to speak, or have um, evidence to be able to allege that he doesn't teach according to the scripture. So what does Jesus say? And and for us, when people when people Uh, question us. We need to follow Jesus' example. Because what does Jesus do? Jesus goes back to the Scripture. He uses the Scripture. And what does he say? Well, he says right there in verse uh, 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read now?" This is in the book of Genesis. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So let's stop right there. Stop right there, because the point is the true origin of the family. Governments do not have the right to determine what a family is. You can disagree with that, but babies aren't born to the governments. The family's origin, the family was created by God. The man, Adam, was created, and Adam, which is man, human. And then, of course, out of his side, the woman was created. When God caused this deep sleep to come upon Adam and he took from his side the bone, flesh of Adam's flesh, bone of his bone, woman, to be his equal. You see, the Bible teaches equality, but not the way that the world teaches equality. Very different. Yes. The male and the female were both created in the image of God. As a matter of fact, let's, let's just go ahead and turn there so you can read it for yourselves. Genesis, right there at the beginning, beginning of the Bible, first chapter, Genesis. And verse 27, so God created man in his own image. Notice that? In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every, every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed... It was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Back to Matthew. God is the creator of life. He is the creator of humanity. He is the creator and the designer of the family. And it is God who ordained marriage. Whenever you get the government involved, what do they do? Tax you and place a fee on you. Long ago, because you know I've done weddings down in the strip, et cetera, and different things. Well, long ago, 40 years ago, you had to actually be an ordained minister, ordained in a recognized denomination and be a pastor or minister in a church, in a congregation, and you had to have you know evidence of that, etc., to to be licensed by the state of Nevada to perform weddings. Whether you performed weddings in your own church or or at a chapel or at a home, wherever the case might be, because you know, some people want to get married out by the dam. Some want to get married, you know, in front of Caesar's palace and all, all these different places. Even in helicopters, I remember one. You know, I several times I did uh, weddings in helicopters, flying over Las Vegas, and and uh, one time some uh, some uh, I'll just say some family from uh, Detroit flew me into the Grand Canyon. All right, and there they were with all of their limousines and all of that Italian spread. Okay. <laughs> And uh, I performed the wedding there, and then, and then as we crossed back over to, uh, to Nevada, pronounced them husband and wife. Yes, but back then, you had to actually be a pastor to, to do that. But things have changed. Now, anyone can, can apply to be a, they call them now a marriage officiant. But you have to go through the the state's training, you have to do this online training, you gotta get 100% on that test, which that's a good thing, okay, all right? And then, then you have to pay (laughs) that fee, they just started that this year, you have to pay that fee, and then your license is only good for five years, and you have to renew it every five years, see? So they can keep getting that $50, you know, and I'm sure they'll bump it up every year. Well, here Jesus declares the design for marriage. And what he's saying is that God's original design was one man, one woman for life. Right? The richer or the poor. Right? In, in good times, in bad times, you name it. And he was actually clarifying that God did not intend that a person could divorce his wife for any little cotton-picking reason. And even though Moses had given them this this letter or written divorce, it was because of the hardness of their heart. They become so cruel and so harsh in their treatment. Moses basically gave in. But Jesus said that was not the desire of the Father. But he said for immorality. And why? Because that breaks the bond, that that oneness, the sacredness. You see, marriage is sacred. Now those over in Hollywood... They, uh, they, they laugh at that idea. And yet, it's been my privilege to do some weddings for some of those actors and, and actresses. And I'm really surprised is when they, they want a Christian ceremony, they want to be prayed for, and of course, more than, more than anything, we, we love to pray for the people, and for, for the children that they'll have, and for their family, and that they'll be successful. And that they'll be faithful to the Lord. And that Jesus is saying, listen, marriage is holy. And here's something else that most people don't realize. God established what is referred to as the creation ordinance. It's before the law. It supersedes the law. And it is an eternal ordinance in the sense of as long as the human race is upon the face of God's earth, that ordinance is still in force. When a person or two people are married, and we're talking about a male and a female, notice Jesus specifically states he created them, he made them in his image Male and female. No confusion there. And what's going on in our country It's horrible. Nothing less than wicked and sinful. That is what that is. Nothing less than wicked sinfulness. You say, well, everyone has a right. No, you don't. They want you to believe that you you have the right. No, you don't have that right. You do not have that right. And the government, the government is not the source of rights. Oh, they believe they are, but they are not. The government cannot give life. Oh, but it can take life. All right, it can control and can take life. But God is the giver of life. And God is the one who determines whether an egg will be male or female. That is his determination. And what is going on today is nothing less than wicked, evil symptoms. All across America, these these people are passing laws and they're, they're doing gender uh, transformations, operations, etc. and using uh, various drugs to change the gender of little kids and sometimes they're doing this without parents even knowing about it. That, that's a violation of, 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 of the parental rights. It's wicked. It's evil. It's dishonest. It is sinful. And it will destroy this country. And it will ensure the judgment of God upon this country. And you see it happening already all across the country. And these these politicians who continue to undermine the law. Well, Jesus says, because of the hardness of your hearts, Then he goes on and he talks about eunuchs. And he says, there are some who are born without the desire for any type of of interaction with the the opposite gender. And then there are some, and he's speaking specifically about males, who have been castrated because in that day and age, certain certain rulers, if you will, who had harems. They would have guards guarding their harems, and they would have those men castrated so that there could be no hanky-panky going on. (laughs) And then there are those who choose to renounce marriage in service of the Lord, and they choose to do that. They believe that that is God's will for their life, and so they choose that. But he, he also said, "Right, he who was able to accept it, to accept it, let him accept it." Or in other words, it's a very limited, a very limited number. Now the Catholics like to use this passage to justify their forbidding marriage. Well, the Bible says that that's a doctrine of the devil. You can read that over in the Book of Timothy. So the doctrine of the devil is to is, is to forbid marriage No Because God ordained marriage You see But moving on So After this exchange With the, the Pharisees and such And they're, they're moving on Some little children are brought to Jesus And so their, their parents are bringing Bringing these little children to Jesus So that he can, he can lay his hands on them And, and pray for them And that was a a common thing in in ancient times, and it's a common thing in in many churches today, that is the laying on of hands, the imparting of of blessing and and laying hands on one and praying for God's blessing upon that individual. And so the, the parents are bringing their children to Jesus, and notice the disciples become a little annoyed. These little children are brought to him that he might put his hands on them, and the disciples rebuke them. That is, they rebuke the parents. What are you doing with those kids? Get those kids out of here. Have you ever said that? <laughs> you remember that remember that sermon last uh, last week? <laughs> uh, the last couple of weeks? Woe to those who offended you. Right? There's a tendency for people to think that kids aren't very important. I want you to know. Every child is just as valuable as every adult. And there's no one adult more valuable than a child. Nor is there any adult, whether he's the president or the king or whoever. He's no no more important than you. In God's kingdom, he is no more important than you or more valuable than you or your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. Every person is valuable to God. And He loves them. So what does Jesus do? He says, Don't, don't do that. Don't forbid them to come to me. Bring them to me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Or in other words, as we looked at before, One who is going to enter into heaven must do so with childlike trust and faith in Him, recognizing their dependence. Little children recognize that they're dependent upon their on their on their parents. And we need to recognize that we are dependent upon God for everything for life. God is the author of life. Guess what? If certain leaders lose their lives, or certain, certain countries have uh, various uh, disasters hit. If it doesn't hit where you are, you're still going to be alive. But if it does hit where you are, guess what? When you die from this life, you're going to be with your Lord in heaven. Because God has promised life to those who trust in Him. Our lives are secure in Him. He tells them, "Don't, don't forbid them." He he rebukes them. Let the children come to me. Children are people of value and significance. I saw the other day on the news, and I thought, hey, "How much farther must the country fall?" Now this is a this is a negative, but it has a positive outcome have you heard of the baby dumpsters baby dumpsters here in in our city and in several cities they now have in certain locations built into a wall remember like before when you used to make a deposit if you had a business you had have to make a night deposit in the depository well they have a baby deposit so a person who doesn't want to keep their baby can, can go there, open this up, place the baby inside, close the door, and once a baby is placed in there, and it automatically locks, and it's it's all, you know, climate control, the whole bit, and then there are people who man that, they then take that child, and care for it, and uh, eventually put it up for adoption or kind of this You didn't hear about that? You didn't know about that? Yeah, that's what's happening here in our country. Now, that's better than abortion. Far better than abortion. But still, you see how far we've come? How far have we fallen? Because there are those, that, and, and I, I'm not speaking negatively about education when I say this, but there are those who believe that an educated society will be a civil society. Right? <laughs> yes. And our civil society now advocates the killing of fetuses, little babies, or just deposit them in the baby themselves. And some of them, too. That's how far we've, we've come. Jesus said, Of such is the kingdom of heaven, those with childlike faith and trust and total dependence upon God. But now, the third point here, proper relationship with material possessions, explain. So this young guy comes to Jesus and he's, he's got it all together because he's, well, now, that the, the, uh, the word that's used for young men uh, can actually be anywhere from about 20 to 40. They were considered young. Okay. And over in uh, Luke, he's called uh, the rich young ruler. So it's a possibility that he he may have been um, a leader in, uh, in his particular uh, community. But he comes to Jesus, and he has a question concerning eternal life. And really the question that he's asking about is, is the kingdom, the messianic kingdom, because when Jesus uh, answers him, that's uh, how he, he, he answers him. So Jesus responds to the young man, and he says... Keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. The young man says, um, "Well, I have. I, I, I've kept all those, you know, since since I was a kid." And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't enter into a dialogue with him. You know, he doesn't argue with him and say, "Well, no, you didn't." Notice that he doesn't do that. He lists, from the second tablet, if you will, the, the commandments dealing with our relationships with others. or what We refer to those as, as our horizontal relationships, because we have three relationships, basically. We have a vertical one with God. We have a horizontal relationship with other people, and even other things. And then we have an internal one, one that we have with ourselves. But he's referring to this horizontal relationship. And notice, he doesn't, he doesn't state the thou shalt not covet. But what does he do? He includes, in the summary, love your neighbor as yourself. The young man says, I'm good. <laughs> I, I've done all that. So, so why do I still lack? And why that question, why do I still lack? Here he was a, a responsible young man, and he was, he was successful, he was wealthy, he was a leader. Uh, but on the inside, something was still missing. You notice? And Jesus is able to put his finger right. And he says, well, if you want to be perfect, now that means complete and mature." in his faith, in his life. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now there are some who believe that that's what Jesus expects of everyone. And in a sense, I we could agree with them. But in practical terms, that's it's not correct. You remember Zacchaeus? You remember that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, right? And as Jesus was coming, he wanted to see Jesus. And he got up into the sycamore tree so that he could, so that he could see Jesus coming along. And when, and when Jesus came along, he stopped right at that tree and he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, We're going to have dinner at your house tonight. (laughs) And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. So he was not popular. He was infamous, right? (laughs) But he repented. What did he do? Did he give back everything? No. He gave back half of what he had. And he restored anything that he defrauded others. You see... Whatever he had defrauded others of, he gave back, he restored it. But he didn't give up everything, you see? So it was different. You've heard that term, different strokes for different folks, etc. Right? God knows each one of us uniquely. And then what about when Jesus taught about the talents? He gave one ten, he gave one five, he gave one one. You see, because the Bible is very different in treating equality. <laughs> Equality is what God says it is, not what the government says that it is. And you notice, the guy with 10, well, he invested it. He earned 10 more. The guy with 5, he invested it, and he earned back 5 more. The guy with 1 put it in the ground. He was a lazy bum. And what did the Lord say? He said, take the the, the 1 that he has and give it to the 1 that has 10. Well, the young man, I'm out of time here, asked the question, what do I still lack? Jesus said, sell, give, follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. He's not talking about buying one's salvation. Well, salvation was by grace through faith. But let's move on to that fourth point, and then we'll, we'll end here, and we'll take up this two weeks from, from here, and finish this out because the, the following passage uh, relates as well. An unwillingness to yield results in sorrow. An unwillingness to yield to the Lord results in sorrow. It says that he went away, he went away sorrowful, that is, grieving. The term that's used in the Greek is, is he went away grieving. Because he was rather wealthy. You see, his possess- possessions had possessed him. Now, there's a danger when you look to possessions to provide you with security. Our security is found in the Lord, the price was too great. He worshipped his possessions more than he worshipped God, and therefore he was guilty of breaking the first two commandments. All right? Because his possessions became his God, and they became his idol. You follow? His possessions became his security. Well, we need to bring our message to a close with that last point there D, grasping results in sorrowful loss. The Bible says over in the book of Philippians that Jesus did not he did not count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But instead he emptied himself leaving the throne of heaven and took upon himself the form of a slave. for humanity. He offered Himself for humanity. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation here. I can hear my Savior calling. And as we sing, you make your decision for Christ. Are you possessed by your possessions? Or are you indwelt by God's Holy Spirit? And the only way that that can happen is by coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, by turning your life over to Him, by acknowledging that you're a sinner and that you cannot save yourself and asking Him to come into your heart and into your life to save you and to give you eternal life. And you can do that right now as we stand and as we sing. Give your heart to the Lord.